Welcome to DLSN, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods. DLSN promotes the advancement of women in private equity and finance through conversations with women in the private equity and finance space. These conversations provide both insights and practical takeaways to inform your deal work and enhance the culture of your organization. If you're ready to drive the industry toward a more inclusive and diverse environment, then it's time to come to the table. Hello, my name is Xaviera Webb, and I am a second-year associate at McGuire Woods, and I would like to thank you all for tuning in to the DLS In podcast, sponsored by the McGuire Woods Women in Private Equity and Finance Group. Today, we have an exciting interview with Alyssa Daniel, who is a third-year associate with PNC Mezzanine Capital. She is going to speak to us today about her early career and how she has enjoyed the past few years in the industry and get into some advice that she has for any other aspiring PE professionals that are listening. Thank you for being here, Alyssa. So I just kind of gave the shortest bio. If we could start with just introducing yourself to the audience and talking just a little bit about your journey into your current role. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually went to Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, um, where I was an econ major. And I think that was sort of my first introduction into the world of finance. Um, Growing up, I didn't really have anybody really in my family that worked in corporate America, let alone finance. And so for me, going from Spelman into institutional asset management, I definitely felt like a fish out of water. But In my second year, I had a very fortunate sort of encounter, if you will. I always say it was like divine intervention when I met a mentor who was in private equity at the time. And I was expressing to him some of my longer term career interests. And he asked if I'd ever considered a career in private equity. And at the time, I was once again, given my background, I didn't really know much about it at the time. And I remember kind of being like, you know, who's private equity? (laughs) He was, um, you know, kind of explaining it to me and explained to me some of the longer term opportunities that I might be afforded. And so I actually worked with him for eight months. Um, We met every Sunday uh, for three or four hours. It was a really demanding time period. I was doing this on top of my full time job at the time as an analyst supporting the institutional asset management group. But he was so intentional about the way that he helped develop me and my training. Um, We did everything from financial modeling to um, deal analysis, investment thesis, interview, mock prep, uh, interviews, resume review. I mean, he, you know, got me all the way together. And I would say in about, you know, the springtime of 2021, I interviewed for the role and I've been with the group ever since. So it's been an interesting journey, a bit unconventional, but I wouldn't change a single thing. So. All right. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing. Something I'm curious about is, especially as he was introducing you to the field for the first time, what do you think motivated you to actually uh, take the leap and pursue private equity? What did you find attractive? Yeah, I think for me, I've always, once again, sort of had this interest in finance, never really knew where I would land or end up, just knew like, you know, numbers, money, business was always of interest for me. And so as he's kind of presenting this opportunity, I think there were a few things that stuck out to me about it. I think my longer term goal has always, or something that I've always been interested in is ownership and entrepreneurship. And so as he's explaining it, he's kind of like, you know, this is the bridge that could ultimately lead you to getting to some of your longer term career goals. So that was 
a huge motivating factor. But also really at the time, I was somewhat frustrated with the role that I was in, um, feeling like it wasn't really challenging me technically. It wasn't as fast paced as something that I would want being so early in my career, knowing that I you know, didn't really have, you know, I had the ability and bandwidth to work late nights and early mornings. And so private equity certainly is that a lot of late nights and early mornings and just fast paced, um, high demand. So I think those were a few of the things that I really, really liked about, you know, getting into this industry. Great to hear. And yeah, it's definitely, I agree with just my experience on the legal side that it is a it can be a very intense industry trying to get deals done and put a bow on things. And so I guess in that same vein, what were kind of the challenges that you faced whenever you um, first started in your role at PNC and how did you overcome them? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me or, you know, definitely was my sort of obstacle was just imposter syndrome. I think naturally being like a black woman in this industry, you feel, you know, sometimes you're always, or for me, I shouldn't speak generally, but I've walked into these rooms with all white men and feel somewhat intimidated by the fact that I'm one of one. And I think that on top of the background or the lack of background that I had coming into this industry, typically people come from investment banking backgrounds and I come from an asset management background. So not only did I have like the demographic thing to worry about, but then also just quite literally feeling like I was shooting above my weight. And so for me, this was something that I struggled with and honestly still struggle with to this day is sometimes, you know, there's days where I wake up and I'm like, are my fundamentals correct? And a lot of that stems from just that insecurity given, you know, the way that I was brought into this industry. But I think the ways that I work to overcome that is one, reminding myself as somebody who's faith-based, like God wouldn't have put you here if he didn't feel like you were qualified to be here. And so that truly is something that has kept me over the last three years, but also just trying to go the extra mile when and where I can. I think one thing that I've always been good at is like leaning into what I do best, which for example, one thing that I do or the value that I think I've brought to my group, it's so minuscule, but in a role as an associate is just helping professionalize some of our investment materials I've always had a knack for sort of design and I really can spend all day in like a PowerPoint creating the right sort of templates. And it's very minor, but in the grand scheme of things, it's something where I feel like, you know what, in other areas where I may feel like I lack in this one area, I feel like I dominate and it's something where I can take ownership and really feel like, you know what, if anybody is able to sort of outdo me in anything, this is the one space where I feel like they can't into that. And then also just with reps and time, I think, when you come into any new role, there's always some level of feeling unprepared. And I think fortunately with my group being as small as it is, I got a lot of reps in very early on. I think I closed like four deals in the first six months, which is just like very unusual for this role. And by getting so much exposure so fast, I was able to really see a lot of things, which, you know, helped sort of fortify my ability to say, okay, well, I didn't have the background, but this is what I've done since I've joined the group. So... Yeah, I definitely think that imposter syndrome can be so prevalent for women who are existing in the private equity space. And then not to mention being a Black woman, being a young Black woman, all of these kinds of markers that can be misinterpreted or interpreted negatively by people. And so to shift just a little bit, I would love to hear about like a particular experience or project that you feel really, in general terms, 
uh, really helped kind of galvanize like your interest in being and staying within um, the private equity industry? Yeah, I think for me, one project or deal maybe that has stuck out and really driven my sort of longer term interest is we were acquiring or we already owned a health and beauty products platform and we were getting ready to make another acquisition to essentially bolt on another business. And this was like my first four months with the group, but I primarily my group focuses on industrial manufacturing and distribution type businesses, even though we are industry agnostic. But this one business in particular, it was a hair brand that I'm actually very familiar with as from the consumer side of things. And so for me, being able to walk into the room, sit down with the CEO and say, wait a second, like these are the products that I used to purchase in college. This is crazy that I now get to sit on the decision-making side of things. And so just being able to take the grand scheme of what it means to be in private equity and how that trickles down to just micro sort of consumer things, I think was super interesting for me. So that really driven or drove fortified sort of bolstered my interests was just like, I want to work on more companies where I am the consumer because it is so interesting to see the decisions that these CEOs and CFOs are facing and how we as consumers often never even see that you wouldn't. But just being able to say, okay, wait, I can actually institute real principles and policies that have a effect on the end use consumer, which I used to be. So that was a pretty cool project early on in my time with PNC. Oh, yeah, that sounds so cool. I think that that is one of the wonderful things about having a diverse group at the decision making table, being able to speak, you know, with authority, not only because of your background, because of your education, but also just your lived experience being uh, so valuable. And so kind of in that vein, how would you describe kind of that value in having um, diverse decision makers at the table? And especially as, you know, as someone who is young, as a Black person, as a woman, just how do you feel like that impacts the way that you engage with the industry slash that you think the industry should change going forward? Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say, and you know, I think there's even statistics to prove it, that diverse teams do better. I think because when you have multiple perspectives, there's people able to who are able to call out and see certain things that you wouldn't see otherwise if you only have people of a similar thought in the same room. And so Going back to this deal, for example, I remember once again, I work on a team of all men and it was early on and one of the partners came into my office and he said, you know, what do you think about this business um, from your side of things? And it was almost like a funny moment because given I was the only person of color and only woman in the room, I felt like I was able to add a very unique vantage point and say, you know what? this is what I see going on in the industry. This is what I think, you know, if I I was the one investing my own personal dollars, this is how I would think about the business and realizing, wait a second, Alyssa, this is something that only you can speak to as much as they want to um, understand the product and as much as industry research as they can, you know, it can be done. They can't really speak to what it is that you can speak to because you've actually used these products and you understand what makes for a good formula versus what makes for a not so good formula. And so I think that's the importance for deal teams that want to continue to progress, especially with 
society as it continues to evolve to show and have more women CEOs and owners of these businesses, for example, or even just more diverse founders, you're going to be able to need to communicate with these people and speak their language. And I think women specifically have a knack for intuition, and I believe. Um, And so while men sometimes can, and I don't want to generalize, but from my experience or what I've observed, oftentimes men can be very transactional, which I think is their strength. And I think our strength is being able to bring a little bit of intuition and say, okay, what are we not seeing with just the numbers alone or meeting a management team and getting a good read on them beyond just what's on their LinkedIn profile. I think that's where we're able to bring our, our, you know, sort of secret sauce and add really value. So I think deal teams that are once again, interested in growing should really look to, you know, bring on as many perspectives as possible. And that doesn't, relegate it specifically to gender or to race. I think there's a lot of different ways, you know, you can get new perspectives in funds and uh, investment teams. Those are such excellent points. And I feel like it really connects to your earlier point about imposter syndrome. I think that it would be wonderful if more women and people of color could really kind of have that mindset or that realization that there is something that is very unique about the perspective that you bring. And that is like a strength. That is something that others in the room don't have that can kind of, I hope, big up like the reason why you should be in the seat that you're in. And it wasn't a fluke. You got there on merit. Yeah. And I feel like this is also related. You mentioned earlier about having a mentor who introduced you to the industry and really worked with you to get into gain the skills and get into your current role. So including that experience since that experience, how important has mentorship been for you in the early stages of your career? Yeah, I think for me, I always say like, sometimes it's really not what you know, it's who you know. And I think the when I look at my career, and even just some my college experiences, like where I was able to get was a lot of times due to mentorship. So I'm a huge advocate for mentorship. I think everybody to the extent that you're able to find yourself a mentor, or at least somebody to look up to to give you a blueprint, I think, especially once again, being in these industries where they're not as diverse, having somebody that really advocates for you is super important. And just somebody that I can call and say, hey, I'm really stressed out today. This is what's going on. Like, help me think about this. It's super important and has been, you know, kind of the heartbeat of my experience working with the group on days where I just want to vent a little bit or just be honest about what I'm going through and experiencing and get some good sound advice from a very objective person, but also someone who knows me still and my personality, my quirks, my mentor is the first person that I call. Um, He obviously has way more experience than I have. He has seen more things than I have. And I think sometimes as much as we want to confide in the people around us in our workspace, we need people that also have no sort of ties, invested interest to what's going on and can just give you very practical advice that, you know, you can take or leave. And I think that's been one of the most beneficial parts of me having a mentor specifically related to this industry. And especially for any kind of young people or younger people who are interested in the industry, how would you kind of recommend them go about either finding a mentor or just kind of finding strategies for understanding what can be a very opaque industry sometimes? Yeah, I think it's always so Finding a mentor, it was weird for me at first coming out of college or even like in college. I remember people talking about like, find a mentor, find a mentor. And I was always like, 
is this something where I'm like formally asking somebody to be my mentor or am I, you know, one day we wake up and we realize that there's been this relationship build. And so what I can say is I don't think that I have it down to a science. I don't think there's an appropriate way necessarily to go about getting a mentor, but things that I've found really work is one, finding somebody once again of value, somebody that you are looking up to and has something that you are aspiring and shooting for, but also being a person of value. So mentorship, I think the best relationships are not one way that there are, you know, a two way street, which I think a lot of times being so young, we feel like, what do I have to offer? What is it that I can bring to the table? But sometimes it's just your own experience. And sometimes it's just having a different perspective. A lot of times I think the benefit of being a mentor is you get to look at the person you're mentoring and say, I see a younger version of myself in you. And I think that can bring a lot of fulfillment to people. And so recognizing like that's a value you can bring. But reaching out to people, creating sort of regular touch points, I think has also helped me. I don't think I've ever come out and just say, hey, will you mentor me as much as it is? I call them one time, we have a good conversation, we get on the phone again, we have another good conversation. And then, you know, by the third or fourth call, I'm starting to call them my mentor, even if they haven't necessarily stamp themselves as being a mentor to me. So I think a lot of times the best mentorships come through very organic sort of connections and consistent communication. That's the biggest thing. If you meet somebody, make it a point to follow up regularly uh, without being overwhelming either. So thank you for sharing that excellent advice. I am always on the hunt for mentors. And so I feel like I'm definitely going to apply some of that for my own search and journey. And in a similar vein, were there kind of specific like networking or just industry engagement opportunities that you found helpful in these early stages? And how have you kind of gone about, I guess, building that network? Yeah, I think I'm big on like meeting people, even if I don't understand how they might be able to add value to my network. Um, I think that a lot of times when you meet people, it shouldn't be with the mindset of what can I get from them, but just more from the mentality of, I just want to get to know them. And a lot of times it's sometimes the most unsuspecting people that will have connections to people that you're either looking to get into contact with. And so I remember very early on in my career, I was so strategic about just making sure I met as many people as possible. I remember specifically when I was working in Atlanta and looking back and it's almost like comical thinking back to how extra I was, but I put time on every commercial banker's calendar in like the first two or three weeks that I was with the group, which was like so obnoxious actually looking back on it. But I I put time on their calendar to go with them to lunch. And, you know, I just was introducing myself, telling them a little bit about who I was and just getting to know their story. And I remember not thinking too much of it at the time, but within maybe the first few months, I'd gotten some feedback from one or two of the commercial bankers. They were like, we thought that was so you know, astute for you to do. We've never had an analyst come in and do that, which honestly probably was like, this girl is just crazy. But because of it, and just once again, genuinely wanting to get to know people, random person, Sally Joe connects me to Jim Bob and Jim Bob connects me to, you know, random other person. And so I think sometimes like by just getting to know people, they can introduce you to other people. And so That was kind of the basis of how I began creating relationships. And what I found was within like a year, I had looked up and a lot of people were coming to me saying, hey, do you know this person? And I would, I would have, yeah, actually I have spoken with this person. Let me connect you and let me connect you. And then I became sort of my brand, part of my brand was being a connector, somebody who 
not only created connections, but it could help other people fortify connections between the two of them. And I always say that because I was so adamant early on, those connections led me to other connections, which ultimately led me to the connection that made all the difference when I got ready to transition into private equity. And so meet as many people as possible, attend networking events whenever you can, introduce yourself, even if you don't know whether or not there will be something that comes out of the relationship, because you just never know. I loved your point about your brand becoming being a connector between people. I feel like everybody like knows those people in their lives. And it is just so useful to have somebody who is kind of on top of everybody and can help you with Mm -hmm. moving forward and kind of thinking about branding. I feel like especially in kind of our generation, there has been an explosion of kind of the need to cultivate like a personal brand and a professional brand. And so especially for young people, for college students who are kind of looking to break into such a a relationship dependent industry, do you have advice for how to cultivate a quality personal professional brand to really improve one's uh, standing? Yeah, uh, I would say like be intentional very early on. I think that first impressions really do matter and how people perceive you ultimately becomes how they treat you. And so whether it's showing up and being at every meeting on time, being attentive, being um, somebody who's known for turning deliverables very quickly, like pick one thing and be very good at it and be very regimented and routine in your approach to doing it. I think if you're not careful especially in the game, the life that is corporate, I I would say corporate in some ways can be somewhat of a game in terms of the politicking and making sure that you are not only performing well, but showing up well. It's a balance. It's a dance. And I don't think I have it right all the time. In fact, I think I'm still learning in a lot of ways. But I think just monitoring yourself, even the small things, uh, the way that you dress, I know that's one thing that I really focus on for my personal brand and my professional brand, specifically my, t- I have a TikTok channel. And that's one thing that I really like to talk about in my TikTok is how to dress well, because I understand that as soon as you walk through the room, people are making assumptions about you and what you're capable of. And one of the easiest ways to communicate your level of seriousness and your ability to work well with a person or, you know, just to be a person of value is through the way that you dress, um, which sounds somewhat vain, but it's, you know, once again, it's a game and understanding that me showing up in a certain way can lead to these results versus me showing up in a different way can lead to, you know, the results that I'm not looking for. And so, yeah, you know, be careful of the way that you not only talk, but walk in the way that you dress and things like that, I think are part of the brand. Honestly, I feel like dressing up has made um, coming back into the office so, so sweet. Getting to, you know, put on a cute little outfit and really get to, I guess, embody that corporate woman, Olivia Pope energy um, (laughs) as you go through the office. And something I think within this kind of personal professional brand idea that I think can be a little, can be very difficult for a lot of young people, women of color, Black people is the kind of visibility portion that I feel is like inherent. Something that I saw as you were, or that I thought about as you were telling your story about putting time on everybody's calendar is how critical such a move would be for just increasing one's visibility within like a workplace and within a space. 
it doesn't quite sound like it, but did you ever kind of struggle or find it difficult to ensure that you are mm-hmm. uh, showing up and that you are, you know, whenever you're achieving something and you're doing really well, that people know that you're doing well so that you can kind of reap those benefits? Yes, I think for sure. Um, so I guess two different things I could talk about. In my first year with PNC, when I was still in the asset management group, I was an analyst supporting what was called an expansion market. I think that's the term that they coined it. So there were legacy markets, which means we've had an established presence in a market for years. We have an established client book. And then there's expansion markets where we're looking to create a presence. And so by being an analyst supporting this team, there were other teams that were just more visible because they were in legacy markets. And so other analysts were touted and put on pedestals, in my opinion, um, you know, not to their detriment, but really in a way that was beneficial to them because they worked with advisors who had, you know, these bigger books of businesses. They were in these legacy markets with a lot more notoriety. And I remember feeling extremely frustrated early on because I was like, I didn't choose to be a part of this market. Like, this is just kind of where I landed. And I feel like I'm being overlooked by everybody. And how can I become more forward facing? And I remember... I started creating these sort of like analyst workbooks, if you will, which basically kind of outline like everything an analyst should do in a very sort of document-like format. And I remember sending it around to the program director and saying, hey, I think that we should, you know, utilize these because in my experience as an analyst, these are the things that I feel like were not necessarily explicitly taught to me. And fortunately, that initiation landed me in a conversation with some of the other program supervisors who allowed me to use this template and share it with the other market analysts. So I had them all on a call and I kind of walked them through it. And it was so small, but it allowed me to begin building my presence and brand beyond the market that I felt like once again was being overlooked and just I hadn't had any visibility amongst my cohort. And so I think wherever you can add value, if you have to go out of your way to sort of get that notoriety, it's super important. And it can feel a bit extra. And I guess this leads me to my second point. I've always been the type of person that I believe I'm going to work hard, but I'm never going to try to go out of my way to show. I don't want to be ever perceived as somebody who's trying to be like a brown noser, if that's somebody that because I've been in rooms with people where I've rolled my eyes when I'm like, clearly, they're trying to like, show us all up. But as I've gotten older and as I've been in this industry a little bit longer, I do think there's something to say about advocating for yourself. And sometimes advocating for yourself can mean going out of your way to call out the things that you've done and putting yourself in the limelight. Because I heard somebody say it the other day, a lot of times if people don't know what you're up to, they assume you're up to doing nothing. And that's one of the worst things you can do for yourself, especially early on is not be visible. So I think it's a balance, but I think it's, more, I would push for more advocating rather than being modest and trying to just be in the background and hope that somebody notices the work that you're putting in. So, yeah, I think that is just such another like wonderful gem. I remember uh, doing a program before law school and something that they really tried to emphasize with all of us is how important it is to be able to confidently go into a room and talk about what you've been able to do and what you've been able to achieve. Mm -hmm. Because I just think so many black and brown people are kind of taught that like hard work will speak for itself. Yet, as many of us quickly find out, 
if nobody is talking about that hard work or if you are not really taking the initiative to advocate for yourself, it can kind of, it's always a plus, but it becomes almost table stakes at that point. And I would add one thing that I was taught early on by somebody that I worked with who was more senior than me. She was a big fan of writing everything down throughout the year. I mean, from small things to some of the larger projects, especially anything tied to like revenues, which is something that is very difficult if you've ever tried to just, you know, keep an ongoing record of everything that you do, because there's things that are very small that you do, but it actually makes like a big difference. But I would say one thing that I've really tried to work on in the last two or three years is being very adamant throughout the year, whenever I get a deal done, or whenever I do an analysis or do something or writing it down, just so when end of the year performance reviews come up, and people oftentimes have near term bias, and they're only focused on like the last few months, you can go back and say, you know what, actually, in January, I did this, in February, I did this, remember, in March, when I did this. So that's another way that you can really position yourself for visibility and people acknowledging that the work that you've put in. That definitely sounds like a wonderful New Year's resolution to really get serious about keeping a track and a log of your successes as you go through the year. And so I guess this is kind of the penultimate question before our signature, but do you have any kind of remaining advice that you would give to uh, young professionals who are considering a career in private equity, especially certain skills or qualities that they should focus on developing? Yeah, I think um, from skills standpoint, like financial modeling is critical to what we do. So that's one of the things I always tell people when they're contacting me specifically for advice, whether it's applying to our program directly or to other PE programs that they're looking at, like get the financial modeling down pat. And then I guess just more generally, be okay with working hard. I think for most people that come into this industry, like you know what to expect, but some people it can be shell shock. And so I'm always a big advocate for, you know, to the extent that you don't have demanding obligations outside of the workplace, meaning, you know, family or kids, husband, spouse, whatever, be okay with the late nights, be okay with the early mornings and put in that time now so that you can reap the benefits of it on the back end, which is ultimately hopefully more time and less work. And so, yeah, Working super hard early on, I think, gets you much further. And my pastor used to say, if you work hard now, you uh, get to relax later. And if you relax now, then you'll work hard later. So I'm, I'm choosing the hard now. I feel like that is something to like write on a poster board and keep somewhere because <laughs> deal work, it can get very intense. But especially once, you know, everything is closed and said and done, it can be so rewarding to know that you We're really there in the trenches with your team whenever things were getting a little crazy or intense. Yeah. So to close us out of a wonderful interview, I would like to just ask a slightly modified version of our signature question. But what is the kind of specific advice that you would give your younger 18 year old, you know, senior in high school, early college uh, self? Quite a lot of advice I could give myself. Um, But one thing I think that has become very clear to me in the last few months that I would tell myself is get clarity on what it is that you really want to do and how you can get there. I think it, you know, as I look back over the last four years, I feel like I kind of landed in a lot of spaces sometimes without necessarily intention. But this is like, I feel like a lot of times like God was at work on my behalf. But now that I've gained a lot more conviction about my longer term career goals, it's easier to say, okay, I want to take up this opportunity because it's going to feed into this thing very, you know, intentionally in this way. 
versus when you're kind of early on. And I do think there's a part of everyone's life where you're not really sure what you want to do or how you want to do it or what you know industries you want to focus on or whatever. I think the sooner you can get clarity about that, the, the, the more intentional you can be about positioning every opportunity along the way to feed into that longer term career goal. So that's one thing that I would say if I could do it all over again, just really taking time to do some deep reflection about okay, yes, you like finance, but what is it about finance that you like? Or what, you know, if you could work for these type of companies and do finance for them, like what companies would those be and why? That's something that I would love to like go back and sort of redo. I think that is such an excellent point about how valuable, I guess, getting clarity and being able to, even though there's always going to be twists and turns, being able to ensure that you are on a path towards something that you want out of your life and out of your career. Thank you so, so much, Alyssa, for taking the time to speak with me today and to talk to our wonderful audience. Would you like to give your contact information, maybe drop your TikTok handle? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for this. This is awesome. And I definitely support what it is that you all are doing here. So for me, if you would like to contact me, once again, my name is Alyssa. Um, please, TikTok is a great way to get in contact with me. Uh, my handle or tag is Alyssa with two A's at the end, Chanel, no space in between. And I have a lot of exciting content hopefully coming out in this new year. I took a break for a little bit, but I'm looking forward to getting back into it and creating some content that speaks to my experience once again in corporate and maybe even some things beyond that. And I, and I'm sure many of our audience members, am also looking forward to uh, getting to see uh, what you produce in the coming months. Yeah, thanks again. All right. Thank you again. And I hope that everyone has a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of DLSN. If you have a recommendation for an inspiring interviewee, a question you'd like us to ask, or topic you would like to hear covered, or if you'd like to tell us about women-focused initiatives in the field, please email us at wpef at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in the podcast. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.